Hey, mate, 40 here. So I- I'm seeing a lot of conversation these days on the right about how we've got all these right-wing political prisoners. They're, they're languishing in D.C. Gitmo. So all these people have been put in prison after storming the Capitol on January 6th. So I have a middle position here. I don't think January 6th was an insurrection. I don't think it was a coup. I don't think we have any evidence that any of these people had a gun or that they had any uh, discernible plan for, for taking over uh, the, the American government. Uh, on the other hand, I think what they did was horrible. And if you stop the capital, I think you should be grateful that you still have your life. So anything that still allows you to live after you storm the United States Capitol, then I think you're coming out ahead and you don't have a lot of room for complaint. Let's get a little from Tucker Carlson, then I'll continue my thought. Tucker Carlson, tonight, imagine dystopia. You hear that word frequently. What does it mean? Picture it in your mind's eye. Dystopia is a world where the police will not protect you. They refuse. And at the same time, you are not allowed to protect yourself. So who does that leave in charge? Who runs a world like that? Well, same time, men you are not, they're in charge. The cruelest and most violent element of any society, the people with the least to lose, the shortest time horizons, the shallowest reservoirs of impulse control. People like that have all the power. You have no power. And that means that everything you have is theirs. That's the end of civilization. It exists in pockets around the world, Mogadishu famously. But if you think it's confined to Mogadishu, you haven't been to Chicago lately. This past Friday, just before noon, a 30-year-old man called Ryan King walked out of a gym in Chicago's Bucktown neighborhood. Bucktown is a former Polish enclave just west of Lincoln Park. That's one of the nicest parts of the city. Real estate websites describe Bucktown as young and hip, a place where recent college graduates who can pay above average rents might live. It's where your kids might live with their friends as they start their first jobs. And that's what most people think of Bucktown, people who haven't been there recently. But local news accounts suggest a very different reality. Shots fired during Bucktown robbery. Man shot during robbery attempt in Bucktown. Bucktown couple shares account of armed robbery and so on and on. Many stories like this. Ryan King probably wasn't thinking of armed robbery as he walked out of the gym on Friday. It was broad daylight. It was a weekday. But then a car pulled up right next to him. Three young men jumped out and stuck a gun in his face. Here's an account from a local Fox station in Chicago. Ryan King turned into an alley near the corner of Wabanzia in Oakley to get back to his mother's apartment when a dark colored vehicle pulls up and three young men jump out. King says one of them pointed a gun right in his face, demanding his wallet. And moments later, he says a passerby saw the mugging unfolding and yelled instincts and his martial arts training kicked in. And that's when King hit one of the men with an elbow and ran off. Again, broad daylight. Middle of the day, nice neighborhood in one of America's biggest cities. So what happened next? Well, according to reporting by CWB Chicago, just minutes after Ryan King was threatened with death for daring to walk outside in his own neighborhood, Chicago police spotted the gunman's vehicle. But there was nothing they could do about it. Their supervisor ordered them not to pursue it. So the criminals just drove off. And of course, they committed more violent crimes. In the hours after Ryan King was attacked, 16 more armed robberies were reported in the area. Police believe at least two organized armed gangs are now operating with impunity around Bucktown, which means the gangs are in charge now. 
That's what the collapse of civilization looks like. But it's now normal in Chicago. According to data from the Chicago Sun-Times newspaper, last year, police made arrests in just 12% of reported crimes. That's the lowest level recorded in Chicago history. And that's what it means when politicians hand control of a city to criminals. Here, you run it. In Chicago right now, taxpayers are more likely to be the victims of crime than criminals are to be punished for it. So the question is, why would anyone in Chicago pay taxes? You'd have to be a masochist to do that. And pretty soon, only the masochists will be. So how did this happen? Well, it's no mystery. There are many threads, but George Soros is a big one. Soros paid for this to happen. Soros backed a prosecutor called Kim Fox, who turned Chicago over to the most vicious people who live there. Not the decent good people in all neighborhoods, the most vicious antisocial people, the ones who truly don't care about others, who are willing to kill people for their shoes or their car. The worst people. And they run things now. This is from our Fox station in Chicago. Clutching pictures of loved ones, families come together to share their loss. My sister's name is Tiara Taylor. She died at 30 years old by the hands of her husband. It's been 336 days since the murder of my son that was four years old. They're also united in their anger and frustration that the killers of their family members walk free. They largely blame the office of the Cook County State's Attorney and Kim Fox. So we ask you, Kim Fox, how much longer do our families need to suffer in pain and sorrow with no justice for our loved ones being served? Our children's blood on your hands, Ms. Fox, and I hope you see their faces every night. You think Kim Fox cares? You think she's watching? You think those scenes like that penetrate at all? The shell of self-esteem that surrounds her? No, of course not. She doesn't care at all. That's why she did it in the first place. Someone should take action immediately on that. But she's not the only person who did this. The federal government also played a role. And you probably didn't know what was happening. Over the eight years of the Barack Obama administration, the Department of Justice forced more than a dozen police departments around the country to enter into something called dissent decrees. Chicago was one of them. The Obama administration began an investigation into the Chicago Police Department, and they got a dissent, consent decree. Now, all of these decrees took the same form. They pronounced police departments guilty of racism if those departments disproportionately interact with African Americans, regardless of whether those interactions were legally justified. In other words, the law is entirely irrelevant to the consent decree, and so is reality itself. Here's a line from the DOJ dissent decree imposed under Obama against Chicago. Quote, raw statistics show that CPD, Chicago Police Department, uses force almost 10 times more often against blacks than against whites. Okay, that's one data point. It's not the whole story. It doesn't begin to tell the whole story. There was no analysis whatsoever about whether the use of force in these specific cases was justified. None. So this is not science. They may have graphs. It's not science. It's some kind of crazed race ideology. It's the equity agenda. And in effect, and this, of course, was the intended effect, these consent decrees have been a disaster for the people of these cities. Even in New Orleans, whose mayor, as we've told you many times, has driven that city, that beautiful city, which is worth saving, right into the sewer. Even the Democratic mayor of New Orleans said recently, and we're quoting, the consent decrees handcuff our officers. That's an understatement. At this point, New Orleans is essentially out of police officers. The median police response time in New Orleans to 911 calls is over two hours. Imagine armed people in your home. You call the police. 
Two hours. A lot can happen in two hours. That's the total collapse of civilization. There's no reason to have a government if the response time is two hours. Buy your own guns. Establish your own order. That's where we're going to be very soon. On a recent Friday night in that city, New Orleans, one third-year officer called Scott Fanning just quit mid-shift. Here's how he described it. Quote, that night I quit. There were 40 calls holding when I logged into my computer. But there were only 35 patrol officers logged in for all eight districts in the city. Some nights there has literally been one person in a big, dangerous city. But it's not just New Orleans. All over the country, police officers are quitting and they are not being replaced. Departments across the country say a lack of officers is severely limiting what they can respond to. We'll routinely respond to shootings, um, but if the person is going to survive, we are not going to follow up on that. In Philadelphia, the department says it's short more than 500 officers from before the pandemic. Los Angeles also missing nearly 700 officers from its ranks, prompting the cancellation of its animal cruelty unit and forcing officials to shrink the size of its human trafficking, drug and gun units and more. With officers struggling to respond to just serious felonies, communities are noticing an uptick in misdemeanors, like in Philly, where more than 30,000 abandoned car complaints are going unanswered. Oh, did you hear that? So the forces of compassion, of caring, the people who have much more evolved consciences than you do, the people who put coexist in bumper stickers on their Subarus, those people defunded the animal cruelty unit in Los Angeles. So dogs can get tortured to death and nobody cares. And people too. And the cops who remain on those forces, by and large, don't want to work there because who would want to work there for any amount of money? Terrorizing the police with threats of prosecution if they do their jobs. That's what the Democratic Party has done, and the effect has been what it was intended to be. Depopulating police departments. Crime surged. So in the end, they didn't tell you this, but they succeeded in getting rid of the police. And now politicians are just admitting it out loud in a lot of places. They've decided to just legalize crime. Here's the mayor of Orland Park, Illinois. Keith Peacow describing the state's new Safety Act. Watch this. As of January 1st, 2023, the following things will go into effect, and people need to be aware of this. It abolishes cash bail for almost every offense. This includes, but isn't limited to, kidnapping, armed robbery, second-degree murder, drug-induced homicide, aggravated DUI, threatening a public official, and aggravated fleeing and eluding. And keep this in mind, businesses and homeowners, officers will no longer be able to remove trespassers from your resident, residence or your businesses. So how is this working exactly? Is it such a low-T country that no one's going to do anything about this? Politicians in Illinois just legalized violent crime against you, and no one's done anything about it. A lot of these people are going to be reelected in November. Really? How does that work? Where's the constituency for violent crime in this country? Is there really one? Is there anyone who's for it other than like Kamala Harris and Ron Klain and the ideologues who run this administration? Most people are not for it. Even most Democrats are not for it. The Safety Act of Illinois stands for Safety, Accountability, Fairness, and Equity today. So... The reason they're doing this is because they didn't like the demographic breakdown of the people who are getting arrested for crimes, period. This can't be happening. 
Therefore, they're just going to redefine it away. It was ideologically inconvenient for them. So the solution is to just legalize murder and kidnapping and trespassing. And at the same time, you are not allowed to notice that an awful lot of these cases appear to be, it's hard to know and you never want to think it, but they appear to be motivated by racial animus. They do. That's just true. Again, no one wants to think that. But there are so many videos of it. Consider the horrific attack, really an attempted murder, on a student at Westbrook High School in Beaumont, Texas. He was really recently beaten and nearly killed in a bathroom at school. What did he do wrong exactly? We don't know. We can only guess. But here's the tape. So that just can't be allowed in a civilized country. We cannot allow that or anything like it to happen in our country. This is more important than anything else that's happening because that's someone's child. But everyone just stands by in our country and lets it happen. And in that video in the men's room, everyone stood by and just filmed it, snickered. The attacker, of course, is a repeat offender. <laughs> He'd already been busted, went to jail, and they put him back in school. And that'll happen again. You'll never know his name. He's a juvenile attacker, so he has a right to go to school. What about the other kids at school? They have no rights. So that means the bathroom at that school in Beaumont, Texas, which is in the United States, is a pretty civilized place. You can't go there anymore. That's equity. Having trouble eating out, too. Restaurants are suddenly out of control. Is anyone noticing this? Here's footage of a robbery at a restaurant in Los Angeles from May. Unbelievable. So then there's this. This is from Providence. This broke out recently, this scene at a place called Mi Sueno Restaurant. Completely out of control. So who has to deal with this? Well, people who have no choice but to eat at Middlebrow restaurants and don't have their own private security. But the rich don't have to deal with it because they know exactly what's going on. In many cases, they vote for the politicians who do this and then they get people to protect them. Armed with guns you're not allowed to have because they have high-capacity magazines. In New Orleans, a real estate developer called Sidney Torres created his own police force. He pays his dispatchers 20 grand a month. We're not attacking him. He probably had no choice. In Greenwich Village in Manhattan, residents and businesses are paying $18,000 for two officers to patrol every month. They're doing it. Why? Because they want to spend the money? No, they pay taxes in order to be protected. But they have no choice because police have abandoned New York City, too. The NYPD is releasing disturbing surveillance videos almost every day. Violent video after violent video. Some are hard to watch. Who could forget this horrific shooting? A gunman opening fire on a Bronx street. Two children are caught between the gunman and his target. The shooter just continues shooting. One of the suspects was seen on surveillance video pulling a gun on a 32-year-old woman as she was returning home from shopping. Then moments later, a second suspect arrived. A police say they struck the woman in the face. They tied her up, stealing $19,000 from a safe and $12,000 worth of jewelry. In this one, you see a woman being kicked from behind as she walks down the steps of the Queens Plaza subway station in Long Island City. She is then hit over the head with a hammer as many as 13 times as she is shoved to the ground and robbed. So these crimes are so appalling. They're attacks not just on individuals, but against civilization and humanity itself. 
that they at this point really do require an immense and organized nonviolent civil, civil disobedience campaign. So just pick one of those videos at random. Who's the prosecutor who let that person out, refused to charge him in the first place? Who's the politician who decided that attacker had more rights than the old lady he was beating up? Why aren't 15,000 people blocking that person's office or chaining themselves to the front door of it, demanding an answer? Again, why isn't there massive, nonviolent civil disobedience that can change this? Barking about it on cable news clearly isn't working. We've been doing it for five years. By the way, it's not, we, we've given you examples from LA, Chicago, New York. And you think to yourself, well, yeah, those are big cities. I left. I opted out. I went somewhere nice and beautiful, somewhere like Asheville, North Carolina, up in the mountains. Famously beautiful place. You think you can get away from this in Asheville, North Carolina, the once beautiful mountain town? <laughs> no, you can't because it's there too. In 2013, Asheville elected a new mayor, a lawyer called Esther Mannheimer. She had the now mandatory complicated eyeglasses that all the girl bosses now wear. Mannheimer was never especially interested in running the city of Asheville. That was very obvious. She didn't talk much about Asheville. She talked about, can you guess, can you guess? Climate change and equity. And by the way, anyone who talks about climate change and equity is immediately disqualified from getting your vote. That should be the rule right there. That's like a baseline. Climate change and equity? No, sorry, you're a lunatic. So by the way, under Mannheimer's leadership, Asheville promised $2.1 million in reparations to black residents. Really, how does that work? And how did it all work out? Well, here are the bottom line numbers. From 2016 to 2020, violent crime in Asheville went up by 31%. Asheville's a beautiful place. It should have no crime, but has a lot now. Climate change, equity, really? Now we have a lot of carjackings in Asheville. Overall, car thefts went up nearly 20% just last year across the country. And they went up in Asheville. So this happened by accident. If all the politicians are talking about climate change and equity and life for you gets worse every single year, maybe they're doing it on purpose. Here's footage from Wisconsin, Philadelphia, and Detroit. A group of three young men wearing sweatshirts appearing to case the home. About a minute later, the trio enters the backyard. Police tell us they stole car keys, a cell phone, and a wallet, and that one of the men was holding a gun. They leave the backyard within 30 seconds as someone from the party follows them out. Then one of the suspects drives off in this black Volkswagen SUV while another runs down the sidewalk. What you see in this video is a carjacking in progress. Police say two male suspects walk up to a man sitting in this white Lexus, open the car door and force him out at gunpoint. The victim walks away as the carjackers pull off. His name is Michael Brown. He's around 15 or 16, and he's identified as the suspect driver of this stolen SUV. As you can see, the Yukon roll over the top of the front of our scout car and knocking over one of our officers seen there on the ground to the uh, right of the Yukon. Then the officer had to roll out of the way as the Yukon tilted over top of our scout car, nearly crushing our police officer. So why is this continuing? It's been going on for more than two years since George Floyd died in Minneapolis, Memorial Day 2020. Why is it continuing? Why has no one stopped it? Because there's no one to stop it. Dad's gone. There is no one in charge with a normal testosterone level who's willing to just say, no, you're not allowed to do this. I'm sorry, you can't do that. That's against the law. This is a country of laws. Nothing personal. We don't care what you look like. That's not allowed. And if you do, we're going to spank you hard so you don't do it again. 
In other words, no one has shown up with clear and reasonable rules and enforced them consistently. When that happens, everybody calms down. That's true in the family, and it's true in the nation. And if you don't have that, you have chaos. Armed robbers suddenly have a right to be on your property. Murderers get out without bail. What are we looking at? We're looking at a war on the population. And it's time for real change. This is completely intolerable. Ryan King joins us now, the man that, whose story we told you about at the beginning. Um, let me just say, Ryan King, thank you for coming on. Uh, and I, I me, should have said it in the script, but I was so impressed by your response. You're the only person I've seen fight back against something like this. Okay, great segment there from Tucker Carlson. So he really brings it at times. All right, I want to get back to the title topic, American Political Prisoners. Well, all prisoners are political, all right? What is punished depends upon a political order. Political orders decide what are crimes, and political orders decide who gets arrested for crimes. So when you get arrested, it's not just a matter of violating rules on the book. As we see from Tucker's segment, there are rules on the book against all these crimes in New York City and Chicago. But the Democratic politicians in charge of these cities have decided that uh, many of these laws are not worth enforcing. And when they are enforced, it's kind of half-assed, right? So many of the Republicans arrested on January 6th for storming the Capitol, if you had Republicans in control of Washington, D.C., meaning the city of Washington, D.C., in addition to the presidency and the Justice Department and the, the Senate and the House of Representatives, they would not be in prison. We had, during the summer of George Floyd, thousands of you know illegal acts throughout the United States, people committing criminal behavior in support of Black Lives Matter, and they were not arrested. Why were they not arrested? Because Democrats were in charge. And so with Democrats in charge, they look out for their own, right? They don't you know, arrest their own voters unless they absolutely have to. They give a, the benefit of the doubt to their own voters. So Democrats support gun control laws that are primarily aimed at restricting access to guns for Republicans, right? So who has political power determines in large part who goes to prison. And when you lose elections like the Republicans did in 2020, then you lose a lot of that power and more of your supporters get hassled and, and, and arrested and imprisoned. So you're probably wondering, 40, what does Candace Owens have to say about all this stuff. What, I mean, these videos are getting more and more extreme. They're not performances, they're real. It's Americans who are being targeted and suffering and killed. Why is no one saying anything about this? Well, first and foremost, Tucker, you mentioned Kim Fox in Chicago, and I just want to say what you forgot to mention is the fact that she's both black and a female. And also the mayor of Chicago is black and a female. So I just want to introduce that because, you know, diversity and equity and inclusion and fluffy words are supposed to make you feel good, even though they're doing bad before they introduce the bait and the switch. It's infuriating to watch your monologue. It's infuriating to watch the monologue. Look at all the crime. Look at the statistics and look at the laws behind it. Because you know what it makes me think? You know what it makes the American people think? The criminals are on the streets, but the worst criminals are in office. They're voting on pieces yeah, of legislation. Totally they're pushing, 
pushing through pieces of pol and policies that are harming the American people, and they know it's harming the American people. I know. The thing is, they just don't care because they have armed guards, because they live behind gated communities, because they've sold out the American people. We all knew this was going to come. We voted these people into office, by the way. These are elected officials that stood on a platform and told you to defund the police because they had armed guards. They didn't care. Of course, we're seeing this consequence. We all saw it coming. You spoke about it. I spoke about it. Uh, we were saying it ad nauseum. Guys, please be aware that the Black Lives Matter narrative is a complete and utter lie. And by the way, who is being harmed the most? It's everybody. It doesn't matter what your race is or your ethnicity or your gender. But who's being harmed the absolute most when you look at the numbers? Of course, it's black Americans, the very people that they purported to help when they at first pushed out these policies. Oh, don't worry. It's going to be great. Don't worry about it. We're going to defund the police. Like I said, it's infuriating. I do want to say this to people. People that are watching are still living in these inner communities in Democrat cities. Get out. This is not a joke. Don't wait for it to be you. Don't wait for it to be your child that you're pushing in a stroller when you get run over. Don't wait for it to be you that's going for a jog down the street and you're grabbed into a van and killed and you have two kids and you're my age like what happened to Eliza Fletcher in Memphis. Do not wait for politicians to rescue you. Rescue yourself and get out of these Democrat-controlled cities. I think that's really good advice. Candace Owens, I appreciate your coming on tonight. Thank you. Thank you for having me. So John Fetterman has got to be the weird. So Candace Owens, she brings it. I mean, she says a lot of important things. Yeah, she says a lot of ridiculous things as well. And, and her pro-Russian advocacy uh, was silly. But uh, on the most important issues, such as crime, and, and there's no more important issue in America today than crime. It, it's more important than inflation. And and on immigration, she gets it right. Say with Tucker Carlson, I think Tucker is ridiculous in, in about half the things that he puts on the air, but the other half of the things he puts on the air are frequently incredibly important. So political prisoners, are the January 6th prisoners political prisoners? Yeah, but everyone's a, a political prisoner who's in prison because politics decides what is a crime and who gets prosecuted and how they are prosecuted. So V who says Luke Ford is entering the matrix. What does that mean? I could never I could never sit through any of those Wachowski brothers, sisters, whatever they are, uh, movies. Uh, did I watch that couple in Portugal reducted? Uh, redacted no i'm not sure what that is uh, referring to so i think some of the blame for january 6 belongs to donald trump for pushing this false narrative that the election was rigged i mean the republicans lost two percent of the suburban vote in the 2018 elections and again in the 2020 elections it wasn't a mystery about what happened and i think right-wing talk radio deserve some of the blame for January 6th, just uh, constantly inst instigating the rage. As you know, Dennis Prager changed my life when I started listening to him on KBC radio when he was doing a weekend show. He wasn't revving up the rage nearly as much as he began to do in 1993 when he got a daily show, a five-day-a-week, three-hour-a-day talk show on KBC radio in Los Angeles. And the, the economics of that position strongly incentivize enraging your audience and even though i was a big dennis prager fan in the 1990s i noticed that when i'd listened to him i would inevitably emerge out of the experience much more angry than i was coming in so people like like dennis prager even though in many ways he's among the more responsible the right-wing talk show hosts also you know, play a small role in instigating 
the the drama of January 6th. But uh, Prager is better than most. For one, he did not support the Iraq war in the run-up to the invasion. Now, once we were there and we invaded, he said we had to you know, do it right and, and we shouldn't just withdraw right away. But at least he didn't push for the invasion in the run-up to the March 2003 invasion. Also, Dennis Prager has not been hammering on his radio show that uh, voter fraud determined the 2020 election. He says he's agnostic. So considering that he operates within the right-wing talk radio atmosphere, I mean, those are fairly responsible positions. But uh, here is Dennis Prager interviewing political prisoner Jonathan Mellis. And we're going to speak now about a lot of things. So, Jonathan, are you are you there? Uh, yes, sir. I'm here. Well, uh, I just want to say it's an honor to meet you, sir. I'm a big fan. Thank you for that. I appreciate it a lot. Why are you in prison? Um, I'm in uh, jail for um, the events that happened on uh, January 6th, and um, I don't. Uh, I don't know how to go into more specifics about that. Um, uh, it was, uh, I, I do want to say that it was not uh, an insurrection. I mean, listen to the passive language by both Prager and his guest. I mean, this guy, Jonathan Mellis, is in prison for repeatedly beating cops with a stick, including going for the, for the necks. Right, this guy was beating cops in a you know a violent entry to to the Capitol, so he's not just uh, someone who just happened to be there. All right, this was someone who made really bad choices. Uh, I know that the media narrative is that is correct. Different. It was not an insurrection. That is one of the great lies of American history. Yes, sir. And I, I also want to point out that I am in here with Oath Keepers and Proud Boys, and I can promise you they had no plan that day. Uh, if you met these guys, you would know that they're not. Right. I agree. It was not an insurrection. So I think that left-wing language is ridiculous. But this guy is, is ridiculous, too. I mean, it, it's Dane not a City shock County that he ended up in prison. Breaching the Capitol and attacking officers showed up in court for the first time. Tonight, Jonathan Mellis is still behind bars, and a judge ordered for him to get transferred to D.C. Adriana de Alba brings us the latest from the hearing. It was a brief court hearing this afternoon. For the first time since his arrest Tuesday, the James City County man accused of breaching the Capitol and assaulting officers appeared remotely in Norfolk's federal court. Jonathan Mellis waived his right to a probable cause hearing and a hearing to determine if he should be held in custody or released pending trial. He chose to have those hearings in D.C. federal court instead of Norfolk. Mellis faces a list of charges, including forcibly assaulting police officers and violently entering the Capitol. A federal judge put in an order to have Mellis transferred to D.C. and said, quote, based on my note, there is probable cause for these charges, but that will be left for the District of Columbia to decide. A criminal complaint reveals two people who know Mellis personally turned him in. Documents give us a glimpse of D.C. body cam footage. They say Mellis is seen here wearing a white cowboy hat, beating officers with a stick repeatedly, at times making stabbing movements toward them and trying to hit them 
them in the neck. He took to Facebook, boasting about his actions on that day, saying, quote, storming the castle, the world heard us, and adding, we take full responsibility. Mellis's next court date is set for February 22nd in D.C.'s U.S. District Court. He denied our request for a jailhouse interview. Okay, I mean, this doesn't sound like a guy taking full responsibility in his interview with Dennis Prager. the latest Prager. among several accused Capitol rioters. Yeah, let's, let's go back to his interview. The again. kinds of guys with, with a plan. <laughs> well, I don't know if there was one person found with a gun. How, how do you have an... And that's a good point there by Dennis Prager. All right, no one was found with, with a gun, uh, to the best of my knowledge, among the January 6th rioters, so it wasn't an insurrection. On the other hand, this particular guy, Jonathan Mellis, you, know, you can kill someone with a stick, right? He was violently attacking police officers on at the Capitol, so I think he's just lucky to be alive, right? A police would have had every... Uh, legal basis to to my knowledge to just shoot him down dead if you're violently attacking a police officer they have the right to defend themselves An unarmed uh, insurrection yes sir and uh, no institutional support uh every single right-wing um media personality denounced it uh nobody it it's uh it's, it's ridiculous that um but we're tarred as um racists extremists i promise you we are not racist. I promise you. You are beating a police officer, leading a violent entry into the Capitol. That's fairly extreme. We are not extremists. Uh, we sing the national anthem every single night at 9 p.m. with our hands on our hearts. That, and, uh, that my friend, is considered an extremist at the New York Times. Yes, sir. Yes, sir. So you, I, um, just, just so you'll know what an extremist now is defined as by the left. If you sing the national anthem every night, you're an extremist. That, that's how they would regard you. And a kook, a kook. They have contempt for people who love the flag and the country. Okay, anyway, uh, what I'm particularly interested in is two things, what you're charged with and how you've been treated. Okay, I'm charged with um, uh, assault, uh, and um, and I've been... Uh, and. Uh, I, uh, I, I, I I just want to point out that there's a lot of things that were very complicated that day. I want I want to I I don't know if your he listeners have heard of uh, the, the story surrounding Roseanne Boyland, but I would encourage them to look into that and to uh, to understand what is uh, going on in uh, many of these guys' uh, situations, in, including myself. Okay, so he wants to talk about Roseanne Boyland. All right, she was stampeded to death on january 6. right videos show how right it was trampled in stampede a capital and this guy jonathan he played a role in creating a dangerous situation so she this woman roseanne boiler lost uh, consciousness in the crush of a pro-trump mob as it surged against the police right she was a 34 year old donald trump supporter here she is and her own team is largely responsible for her death. Oh. I mean, All right, we're horrifying. on the Capitol steps, and they broke through the police line, and people are going in. The doors are open! Oh, 
Okay, so a lot of pushing, and uh, she's she got stampeded to death. She got crushed to death in this crowd. So when you're part of a mob committing illegal acts, violently attacking police, violently pushing your way into Capitol Hill, then you bear significant responsibility for for the people who die as a result of this behavior. And women who are the more fragile sex in some ways, the weaker sex in some ways, definitely should not be participating in, in this sort of thing. I mean, you have to be deranged uh, as a woman to go participate in this. Including Ashley Babbitt, right? She should never have been there. No woman should, should have been there. Yeah, so she she asphyxiated. She was in front of my eyes. Yes, she collapsed underneath. Four minutes, she was underneath, not breathing. What happened, sir? Some a lady died in front of me. I picked up a, a black, carried her down the steps. She she fainted and, and she was crushed by yeah. six people. Out here? Yes. In the window. Did they bring? Her, did they? Did she go inside? She was purple by the time they got her. Oh my God! And white. So th that's the woman that uh, Jonathan Mellis wants you to hear about, right? He played a role in creating a dangerous situation that killed this woman. Um, so um, Roseanne Boylan was, um, died that day as well um, uh, as a result of, 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 of what, the, what happened. Yeah, she died as a result of what you and people like you did and her own stupidity in joining in in a violent assault on the Capitol. And um, our treatment. Our treatment has been mostly solitary confinement. Uh, Luke, are you endorsing collective responsibility? Heck yes. Heck yes. All right. If your son or your daughter or your spouse commits a crime, you should have to pay some of the price when they're convicted. All right. If, if your group is committing disproportionate amount of crime, you should have to pay some of that price. Yeah, I believe we need to move towards more collective responsibility. So parents should bear some responsibility for their children. Spouses should have to bear some responsibility for their spouses. Siblings should have to bear responsibility for each other. Communities should have to police their own. 
and communities should have to pay the price if their community, for example, is taking out disproportionate amounts of welfare or committing disproportionate amounts of uh, crime. So, yeah, I am for more more in the way of collective responsibility. I like what Israel does when it crushes and destroys the homes of, of terrorists. I live until July, and then it's on and off after that. We only get one hour, one hour or two hours max out of our cell until July. And then now we've, we come out of our cell about four hours, roughly a day, and it's only... He's allowed out of his cell four, four hours a day. I think he, he got off light. Right. Anyone who is committing violence against police while attacking the U.S. Capitol on January 6th, I think they should thank their lucky stars that, they're, that they weren't killed by, by police. Okay, uh, Richard Spencer has an interesting uh, show here on Twitter against free speech. So, so Spencer's always provocative. And uh, that's what, what makes Hello him everyone. such a, a compelling personality. Space. It has been a little while, and I always like to do these, and you can look into those on Substack. But uh, tonight I wanted to talk about a rather contentious subject. I guess it's contentious and it's not contentious on one level, and that is free speech. So everyone you know claims to love free speech, uh, particularly if they are American, but not necessarily. Um, it seems to be a kind of bedrock value, and it's very hard to find someone who will... Um, openly discuss the problems with that notion. Uh, it's obviously enshrined in the First Amendment of the U.S. Constitution. And since we live in an Americanized world, it has traveled around the world. And most new constitutions that you will see will pick up on the American notion of free speech. Um, that notion of free speech, even in the First Amendment, I think should be looked at more closely. And the, the reason why I'm doing this, I guess the intention or, or what kind of spurred me to do it really, um, was some contemporary problems that we have with speech. Speech is everywhere. It inflects our, or infects, you could say, our lives more perhaps than at any other point in history. And there's kind of user-generated interactive quality to it. Um, you can't get away from someone yammering on a TV, whether you own a TV or not. You walk into any restaurant and there it is. Um, everyone, particularly if you're in this group, I'm sure is to some degree addicted to social media. That includes myself. <laughs> some have it worse than most. I think we should freely admit to that. Um, so it is everywhere. It is different than it was in previous times. Just we're enveloped in it, drowning in it. Um, and it is something that is extremely powerful and that we need to address. Um, one of the, a few of the things that motivated me to rethink that value of free speech um, are some contemporary issues that we have to deal with. Uh, most recently, I learned of a controversy with Kiwi Farms, which I have never visited that website. I have heard of it. Um, my understanding is that it is much like 4chan, a kind of user-generated forum that is anonymous. Uh, you know, enlighten me if I'm incorrect. And it became a cesspool of doxing, bizarre revenge fantasies, lies, um, and what is textbook harassment, effectively? Um, you have a right to go out to the center of town or a city sidewalk and hold up a placard that says, say no to war, or, you know, all lives matter, pro-life forever, whatever. You absolutely have that right. You don't have the right to harass someone who disagrees with you. You can, of course, have a conversation with them. You don't have the right to endlessly yell at them or at him or follow him home or loudly shout his address where he lives and effectively urge people to go harass him or even kill him. You don't have that right, actually. And the notion that you somehow acquire that right through the internet is really stupid. You don't have a right to sell on the internet. You don't have a right to illegal drugs, that is. You don't have a right to... Okay, so Spencer here is being contrarian, and I think he makes some, some strong points. 
So I, I did not mourn when Kiwi Farms was taken down. I did not mourn when Alex Jones was removed from the major social media platforms. So I, I did not mourn when uh, Andrew Tate was removed from the major social media platforms. So if you want to go on somebody's platform, then you need to abide by the rules. Contract a hitman on the internet. The internet is a means form of communication. It is tubes developed and built by the government. You have just as much right to contract with a hitman on the internet as you do on a public sidewalk. But there are many people who don't seem to find... So apparently on his show this morning, Scott Adams was talking about how he had uh, premonitions of his own death. Fundamentally grasp this distinction. Um, I've noted who is perhaps my least favorite political commentator and someone who is more popular than ever, although he has been in the limelight for about a decade or so, and that is Glenn Greenwald. Uh, he took it upon himself to defend Kiwi Farms. Now, it is interesting. I actually looked at this last night. So what, what bothers Richard, I think, is not so much that Glenn Greenwald defended Kiwi Farms. And Kiwi Farms is not nearly as toxic a place as 4chan. All right. To the best of my knowledge, uh, I, I've been on Kiwi Farms a dozen times. I, I think it, it's considerably much more amusing, not nearly as toxic as uh, 4chan. It's not primarily a dox and destroy website, all right? It's it's not nearly a, as, you know, clear case, you know, horrible place as, say, 4chan or 8chan. I was curious about Glenn Greenwald defend. I mean, look, I'm self-interested. It's personal. I was curious if he ever defended my right to free speech. So I did an advance. Yeah, so Richard's bothered that Glenn Greenwald didn't speak out for him. That Glenn Greenwald spoke out for Kiwi Fires but didn't speak out for Richard. And I looked at some tweets. Uh, and apparently, Glenn didn't have the time to speak up on some very key occasions, um, and uh, one of which was a moment about two years ago um, when I and Stefan Molyneux, and I believe Jared Taylor, and maybe a couple other people were kicked off YouTube. And well, maybe it wasn't as key a occasion as, as you think, all right, because you were in the middle of it, Richard. It was a, a key occasion. But uh, in the grand scheme of things, maybe not so much. Probably a lot more people uh, follow Kiwi Farms than follow Richard Spencer. And you know, I, I can only speak for myself, but I can more or less speak for the other people. That was a, um, uh, that was pretty outrageous in the sense that um, I understand when someone gets kicked off for disobeying the terms of service. I mean, look, on some level, if you don't, if you don't like the terms of service, you can get lost. It's not your platform. Uh, but when people are not, are actually obeying them and, and really, you know, taking the time to obey them and, and putting forward whatever you think about me, whatever you think about Molyneux, whatever, putting forward content of a thoughtful nature, um, that is pretty outrageous. But, you know, I didn't notice, I uh, did an advanced search. Glenn Greenwald didn't seem to have the time to speak up on that matter. There's some other cases like that. I don't want to make this some personal matter. Um, it's a matter of principle. Um, but, you know, there's this, there's this one... So I think there's no comparison between banning Stefan Molyneux, Richard Spencer, uh, Jared Taylor, and banning uh, uh, people like Andrew Tate or uh, Alex Jones. I mean, Stefan, Richard, uh, th these people are developing ideas. That they're not, uh, you know, primarily promoting uh, criminal or ridiculous uh, or antisocial... Uh, behavior. I mean, of course, there's an antisocial element to almost everyone. And with, with people like Richard, there's a, a considerably higher level of uh, antisocial uh, behavior. But but still, the the quality of the content that uh, Jared and, and Stefan and Richard were putting on YouTube uh, two years ago when they were banned was, you know, quite innocuous. And so, yeah, I, I think it was, it was, wrong and bad and disappointing that they, they were banned, right? And uh, 
far more of a loss to free speech, uh, to not to free speech, but to uh, important discussion of ideas when Stefan and Richard and Jared were banned compared to an Alex Jones. That sometimes uh, attributed to Chomsky, he actually did say this on multiple occasions, um, sometimes attributed to Gandhi and Voltaire. It's one of these quotes. Like, first they, first they laugh at you, then they fight you, then you win, or something like that. Um, but, but the line that I'm thinking of is, um, the question is not whether you defend the free speech rights of speech you agree with. The real question is whether you will defend the rights of, of people who you vehemently disagree with, maybe even the rights of people who are outrageous, maybe even poisonous or disgusting. You, that's the test. Will you defend Kiwi Farms? Will you defend Andrew England? Well, I think it's almost more of a test when you defend the rights of people who are rational, to be honest. Um, it's kind of fine, I guess, but not very impressive when you vaguely defend the rights of Kiwi Farms or just people's ability to say whatever the hell they want on the internet. Um, that's, in some ways, it is a kind of low cost. Uh, there are clear implications to the existence of places like 4chan and Kiwi Farms. Um, they are absolutely toxic. And whether it's, you know, 1% of 1% of 1% of people who will actually look at the rhetoric there and go kill some, you know, Twitch streamer that they're secretly in love with but are madly jealous of or something like that. Okay, I don't think there's any evidence that anyone's been killed because of, of threads on Kiwi Farms. Kiwi Farms is not nearly as toxic a place as 4chan or 8chan. Or someone like a buffalo shooter who will just cut and paste all of this, uh, you know, great placement type stuff, uh, not look at it. I mean, millions of people have been killed because of the Bible. Are we going to ban the Bible? Right. The, the, the primary causes of murder in this country, the primary causes of rape in this country, the primary causes of America's crime wave have nothing to do with 4chan or 8chan or American Renaissance or Jared Taylor or Andrew Tate or, 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 or Kiwi Farms. I mean, to the extent that these individuals or sites you know, do contribute to any criminal behavior, it is tiny, tiny, tiny compared to the massive wave of bloodshed and rape and torture and violence and breaking and entering that has been unleashed by the Black Lives Matter movement, this terrorist organization, and those who support it, which is much of the Fortune 500 group, all right? Many of America's biggest businesses supported Black Lives Matters, essentially subsidized the, the raping, the looting, the torturing, the mass murder that has gone out of control in American cities over the past uh, two years. So to, to compare what's going on with 4chan or 8chan or Kiwi Farms or, you know, any dissident website to the havoc and slaughter and bloodshed that has been brought about by what's going on with Black Lives Matter and its corporate underwriters, right? Almost all the major corporations in America funded Black Lives Matter, donated to Black Lives Matter, which in turn instigated, encouraged, subsidized the massive crime wave that is wrecking America to this day. So to compare what Fortune 500 companies have done and Black Lives Matter has done and George Soros-funded prosecutors have done, what the Democratic Party with their soft-on-crime approach have done, all right? The thousands upon thousands of people have been murdered due to these organizations. The tens of thousands of people who've been robbed and brutalized, raped, tortured, like had their lives rendered a, a living hell, right? Compared to these institutions, 4chan, 8chan, Kiwi Farms are nothing, absolutely nothing compared to Fortune 500 companies subsidizing Black Lives Matter and their enablers in the news media. Like the New York Times and the Washington Post 
and NBC News pushing this false narrative that police are racist, that they, the police just have it out for black people, that when police see a black man, they just like, they go run, chase him down that uh, police are just out to oppress black people, that police are just out to hurt black people, that police are just out there looking to put their knees on the necks of black people. All right, this narrative driven by the New York Times and the prestige media has done 10,000 times more damage to America than 4chan or 8chan or Andrew Tate or Kiwi Farms. So you're looking to place blame and you looking to locate who has instigated the the crime wave that has washed over America over the past two years? Well, it's the Fortune 500 companies subsidizing Black Lives Matter, the Democratic Party pushing for soft on crime policies, George Soros-funded prosecutors, and idiot Americans in places like my city, Los Angeles, in places like New York, places like Philadelphia, that vote for these soft on crime policies. Californians, you know, voted for for soft on crime policy so that if you steal less than $950, it's only a misdemeanor, right? The idiots who voted for these soft on crime policies, they have huge responsibility for the crime wave. The, the crime wave sweeping America over the past two years is not caused by Donald Trump voters. Right, January 6th did not unleash a crime wave. Now, I was reading in the New York Times that right-wing extremists are responsible for killing something like 100 people over the past three years while anti-fascists are responsible for only murdering one person. Yeah, that may be true through a certain way of, of accounting. But the bigger picture of this massive Black Lives Matter-driven crime wave where we've had this enormous increase in murder, rape, breaking and entering pillage, and the stigmatizing of cops as just you know, being racist and out to, you know, hurt, hurt black people has caused cops to step back from law enforcement. And as a result of cops stepping back from law enforcement, people are acting out in all sorts of horrible ways, right? Not just with murder, not just with rape, not just with breaking and entering, but with more reckless driving. So we've had this massive increase of deaths on the roads. We've had this massive increase in pedestrians being killed because the police have stepped back from law enforcement due to pressures exerted by the prestige media and their friends in, in the Democratic Party. So police have been incentivized to stop enforcing the law. As a result, bad people are behaving badly on the streets, breaking into people's homes, behind the wheel. Pedestrians are getting run over. Innocent motorists who are going about their business are getting hit by reckless, terrible drivers who would have been deterred from their reckless ways by normal levels of police enforcement. But we don't have normal levels of police enforcement anymore because primarily of the Democratic Party, Black Lives Matter, and its corporate enablers and those in the prestige media pushing this false narrative that uh, cops are racist and therefore, we need to have less policing. In a proper context, not look at it in the context of someone who can actually talk about these things rationally, which is kind of cut and paste a bunch of graphs and then decide that the only way forward is to go kill minorities, people of color. You know, it's a, it's a football score and, you know, they're down 10 and I'm up one or something because I murdered them. Um, in places like 4chan, where it's this toxic... And uh, Ricardo is shocked and 
amazed that I say that the prestige media pushes false narratives. And that's not the, the, the number one problem with what they're doing, the pushing the false narratives, is pushing particular false narratives that are so incredibly damaging that lead to the needless deaths of thousands of people. Right? Thousands and thousands and thousands of people are dead because the New York Times, Washington Post, NBC News, Miami Herald pushed this false narrative that uh, police are just systemically racist and looking to hurt uh, black people. Now, anyone who is talking publicly is going to inadvertently or advertently, due to their own character flaws and their own blind spots, all right, are going to push false narratives. But not all false narratives are created equal. Right? Some false narratives are far more damaging than other false narratives. So Ricardo says, what about the false narrative of promoting vaccines for groups that it doesn't make sense to vaccinate? That sounds like it's harming thousands. I, I don't, don't have a strong opinion on that. So I, I'm generally very, very pro-vaccination. I think uh, the, the vaccination has reduced uh, death rates. But on the other hand, I, I don't think that the point you're making is just absolutely ridiculous and just should be, you know, absolutely dismissed. And, you know, no decent person can even discuss that. Right. Obviously, the people who are dying from COVID have been largely people over the age of 60. So why the push to vaccinate everyone, which I think does sound like a good idea. Right, I, I do support it because I would think that uh, vaccinating more and more of the population probably reduces the spread of COVID. It certainly reduces the intensity of COVID episodes, but there, there should be a wide open discussion. As far as I'm aware, right, that the studies say, the academics say, the experts say, you know, by and large, that uh, vaccinating virtually everyone against COVID is a good idea, and that's what I believe, but there should certainly be a free and open uh, discussion on that. But uh, the number one problem is not the false narratives of the prestige media press, but the false narratives that are just so incredibly damaging that we have incentivized and discouraged police from, from doing their jobs. Uh, to me, that's, that's the number one problem in America is this crime wave. Of just endless, horrible nonsense, total distortions of what many serious people believe and kind of foreign assets acting in there as well. You can inspire that 1% of 1% of 1% to do something like that. And it's almost a mathematical certainty that something like that will happen. But you can also, in a cost-free manner, kind of vaguely defend the rights of these people to put forth just absolute garbage and to engage in what is textbook harassment. I don't see 4chan Kiwi Farms as being among America's top 20 problems. So free speech certainly comes with some downsides, but I, I don't think free speech is, you know, one of, one of America's top 20 problems. So Duvid says something about uh, violence can be an effective group strategy. Uh, God forbid. And Ricardo says, do it, do it essentially is based. He understands eventually we'll all meet on the battlefield. Well, we don't have to all meet on the battlefield. In some circumstances, we meet on, on the, the battlefield. But uh, why can't we meet in the bedroom? Why can't we meet at synagogue? Why can't we meet at a, an air supply concert? Why can't we meet at the ball game? Why can't we meet at the book club? 
Why does it always have to come down to violence? Like, why do you want to go stampeding after the clitoris of violence? What's wrong with a good kiss on the lips? What's wrong with gazing into each other's eyes? What's wrong with a little hand-holding? What's wrong with some honest dialogue? What's wrong with going on a nature hike together? Top 20 problems in America. So I would say crime, number one. That's the most important problem in America right now. Uh, number two, limitations on freedom of association. So the civil rights legislation from the 1960s and how it's been endlessly expanded since then, I would say is the number two problem because that encourages dislocation and atomization and makes it more difficult to develop uh, stable families. Three, the way that we economically incentivize bad behavior. So we pour trillions of dollars to to the people who are not productive. So we take trillions of dollars from people who are productive and funnel it and thereby encourage unproductive behavior. Is air supply still around? Wait, they, they sing the songs that... Uh, that make my heart sing. <laughs> that was really stupid, what I just said. Yes, air supply is still still around. So what I would put inflation in our top uh, 10 problems. I would put risking World War III in Europe in uh, by the massive subsidizing of Ukraine in our top 10 problems. I would put China in our top uh, five problems, all right, China taking over Taiwan, I'd say that's a, a top five problem. So, yeah, crime, social dislocation, threats from China, risking World War III in, in Europe, and the dominance of the left in almost all our major problems of almost all our major institutions, I, I'd say that's that's a problem. Uh, pornography, I would not list in the top 10, but uh, might might list it in, in the top, uh, certainly list in the top 100, maybe in, uh, in the top 50. Due to their supposed rights to free speech. Um, I, I think people like Greenwald, they kind of get in this way of thinking that they see liberals who actually are at the very least trying to address this issue. And they basically see them as the fascist. And they see all of these people engaging in this toxic culture as you know somehow innocent or even the good guys. And they just moralize on that basis without seriously thinking about the problem. Um, there's some other things that are important here about just our contemporary notion of free speech and just some big problems. With Birds, more birds, more or less. Or in fact, to generate conflict and unrest for Carlson is that he has been hosting for reasons given his due um, I might be a bit offended if... Okay, so Richard had some pretty sharp uh, criticisms of uh, Tucker Carlson here, and so let, let's have a look at Richard's commentary. At best, this is delusional, but that begs the question, why be delusional about a foreign adversary? By promoting Baghdad Bob-tier commentary, Tucker Carlson makes a strong case for government content regulation in the national airways. I don't think so. So here's Matthew Gertz tweeting, Tucker Carlson's top Russia-Ukraine war expert Douglas McGregor on Friday said this entire war may be over soon. Right now, things are going very, very badly for the Ukrainians. They're desperate. They're losing once again just south of Kharkiv. 
right? Obviously, that's ridiculous analysis, but everyone's been wrong about this war. So I think Douglas McGregor, to the extent I've listened to him, has said some interesting and valuable things. All the experts said that Russia would win and fairly quickly. So given that everyone's been wrong about this war, I don't think that uh, Doug McGregor being wrong about this war means that we need more government regulation, the national airwaves. I think that's a ridiculous perspective from Richard. So Zelensky is now going to be hosted by the defense contractors. I wonder, could they make it more obvious? Well, probably not. Of course, when he meets with them, this entire war may be over. Uh, Right now, things are going very, very badly, which is why the Ukrainians are so desperate. The the list, the so-called kill list, which has me and many other Americans on it, is simply a reflection of that uh, desperation. But the larger picture is is very simply as, as follows. The Ukrainians have focused on trying to take, retake, and hold territory. The Russians haven't paid much attention to territory. They've paid attention to destroying Ukrainian forces. And the last offensives down south failed miserably. 30, 40, 50% casualties, loss of equipment. And bear in mind that when the equipment does show up, only about 30 to 40% of it ever reaches the Ukrainians. The rest of it disappears in a sea of corruption. But this desperation is very dangerous right now because they're losing once again just south of Kharkov. And there are people in Washington talking about what else can we do? And there's actually talk about fighting and potentially winning a limited nuclear war, which, of course, is delusional. And we should have given up on that decades ago. But it's it's coming back in vogue. I mean, this this is a tragedy for people who still live in Ukraine. They're being killed in huge numbers. Why not settle this war, return energy prices to normal and stop the economic catastrophe we're facing? Well, I think the Biden administration is now trying to figure out. Oh, my God, that's so outrageous. Tucker Carlson wants a peace in Europe. He, he wants an end to this war. Right, that's, that's not a ridiculous position by, by Tucker Carlson. That, that's the sane position. How they retreat from the dumb position that they've taken to this point. I don't think they can do that very easily. Do you? I, you know, I think the consequences of not doing that at this part, uh, at this point, could include the impoverishment of the West. So maybe they should. Oh, absolutely. But I don't see it happening. Yeah, I don't either. Look, I don't understand how any normal person couldn't emotionally be on the side of of Ukraine. But uh, that doesn't mean that we we need to risk World War Three. So emotionally, I, I definitely want want uh, Ukraine to to win, but is it really worth risking uh, World War Three? So Richard says there's nothing worse than Irish nationalists, really. Honorable Deli, a facoltà di replicare. Thanks, Holly. I would love colleague Jambaski to tell me any circumstance in which the NATO has played a productive role or delivered peace anywhere. History has taught us that sanctions do not end military conflicts. They do not bring peace. They make the people suffer, not the oligarchs, the people, the people of Russia, the people of Europe. And they're not going to help save lives because the more arms you pump into Ukraine, the more the war will be prolonged, the more Ukrainians will die. And it might sound radical, colleagues, but the answer to war is not more war, it's peace. And peace isn't delivered by the barrel of a gun, it's delivered by diplomacy, 
by dialogue. You can wish away your continent's history, but we share a continent with Russia. We will sit down with Russia. There will be a negotiated peace, and this organisation should be promoting it earlier rather than delaying it and making sure that more Ukrainians die. Your feigning of sympathy rings hollow. It makes me sick, to be honest with you. Okay, I think uh, that was, I don't think that was ridiculous. I thought that was a reasonable point of view. Let's get a little bit more on... For an unconditional surrender from Vladimir Putin. Here's the weird thing. By any actual reality-based measure, Vladimir Putin is not losing the war in Ukraine. He is winning the war in Ukraine. And Joe Biden looks at that and says, we won't stop until you proffer an unconditional surrender. This isn't bad policy. This is nuts. It makes no sense. In fact, it only makes sense if the goal is to completely destroy the West in order to make way for Chinese global dominance. What would be the other explanation for this behavior? Retired now Joe Biden is calling for an unconditional surrender from Vladimir Putin. Here's the weird thing. By any okay, so that, that piece of analysis by Tucker Carlson was absolutely absurd. So half the time he is cringe and half the time he's great. So would Luke stop wearing a keeper if he started getting beaten up and, and robbed for wearing a keeper? Yes, a, a keeper is not this, this tremendously holy object, right? Lots of uh, religious Jews have abstained from wearing a keeper. Oh, they certainly put a baseball cap over it. So in, in the Jewish pantheon uh, of the, the top you know, 25 things most important to do when you're out and about in public, right? wearing a kippah is not in, in the top 25. It's a cultural custom that's, that's developed, and where it's safe to, to wear a kippah out and about in public, then, then fine. But it's not some major... Jewish imperative that uh, Jews wear a kippah in public. Right. Here's more from Richard. Karl Marx got banned at my local library or bookstore or something. Um, but that is ultimately a matter of taste. Um, and that's ultimately a matter of reading powerful, but maybe not terribly relevant philosophical ideas. I, I mean, Karl Marx play, played a role in, significant role in the deaths of well over 100 million innocent people. I mean, I, I don't see how you could ban Mein Kampf, uh, but not ban uh, the writings of Karl Marx, who's responsible for far more deaths than uh, Mein Kampf was responsible for. Now, neither one of them were primarily responsible. It's still people who carried out the murdering, but uh, communism has been res responsible for well over 100 million deaths. So Karl Marx, to me, is not uh, it's not some innocent... You know, good faith inquirer into you know the the nature of uh, society. So, from from Richard's perspective, you know, Karl Marx is a a good guy who operates in good faith. So, I would beg to differ. What's much more relevant, where the rubber hits the road, as it were, is the right of free speech of people who take part in these forums, like Kiwi Farms, like 4chan, uh, like many other places that might host some philosophical discussion here and there but which are overwhelmingly used as a platform for harassment. I don't... So are 4chan and Kiwi Farms overwhelmingly used as a platform for harassment? I don't believe so. I believe that harassment was a minor aspect of, of Kiwi Farms.
it, it was there, but mainly it was just uh, humorous or minute uh, commentary on various, you know, e-celebs. It, it was not a platform. It definitely was not a platform primarily designed to harass people. Right? That was definitely a very minor component of the platform. I don't think that any of you would be too upset if there were some restaurant-like establishment somewhere, somewhere that was known to everyone as a mob-owned hangout and distribution center for drug dealers. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Is Richard here saying, is he really just trying to say that Hasidic schools who don't educate their kids to meet you know, minimal standards in, in reading and math are essentially creating people who are going to be burdens to society and uh, very likely thieves and criminals. Is he saying that these organized criminal enterprises should be shut down? Is that, is that really what Richard is saying here? Yes, it might actually be a restaurant. You can order drinks and some... Uh... Yes, these Hasidic schools might actually be schools, but if they are producing kids who are not literate in English and are not numerate in math, then they are producing people who will be a giant detriment to society. They are producing kids who will be antisocial ago. It's not a huge stretch to call them organized criminal enterprises. Spaghetti bolognese, if you'd like. But it's ultimately a platform for crime. That's why it's there. No one if you educate kids so that they don't learn to speak English or to be able to do basic math in the United States of America, you are a platform for crime and dysfunction. One actually created it so that they could serve you spaghetti or give you a martini. They created it as a platform for criminality. Would you really be that terribly upset if the cops shut it down? One other thing that I noticed recently with a, uh, a clip I saw of Tucker Carlson is that he has been hosting, for reasons I don't quite understand, he has been hosting people who, you know, at a time of crisis, at a time when the United States is not directly engaged in a war with Russia, and I certainly hope that we will not be engaged in a direct confrontation, is, for all intents and purposes, in a global conflict with Russia. We are funding to the tune of billions of dollars. Um, our reputation, our know-how, is all directed towards a very difficult and important conflagration in Central Eastern Europe, one that could have tremendous consequences. Are we really okay with the notion of Tucker Carlson hosting people who are if not outright Russian assets, people who are simply promoting Russian talking points and delusions that are either meant to misrepresent reality or, in fact, to generate conflict and unrest and confusion, even like dissociation from reality among the public. Okay, that's a, a good question. And Richard is consistently interesting. These are interesting challenges that, that he makes here. And I want to give Richard credit along with Ken Brown, give them both credit that they have not been captured by their audience, right? They're willing to tick off their audience consistently to say what they believe to be true. All of the airways are in effect public airways. If you know, the, the United States directly regulates the actual airways of broadcast, radio, and television, those tubes that bring us the internet or cable, et cetera, are on some basic level a government project, much as is indoor. And the question in the chat, 40, is the same thing going on in Hasidic schools in Israel? Well, there, because Yiddish is reasonably close to Hebrew, the, the language problem is not nearly as severe in, in America. But there is a similar problem in Israel in that the Haredim have historically not 
done much work. Instead, they've been massively subsidized by those Israelis who do work, and the Haredim have not served in the armed forces. So the Haredim, generally speaking, have been a massive drain on society in Israel, just as they frequently are in the United States. Door plumbing. Now, you can promote things like you know, the German ideology by Karl Marx. And I don't think any reasonable person, include, certainly including myself, would say, ah, we just ban it all. The internet's a public space ban it. No, that's a serious work. Right, I'm not banning for banning communism or Karl Marx, but when, when communism and Karl Marx are responsible for, for the deaths of over 100 million innocent people, it's then hard to make a case for banning Kiwi farms, which, to the best of my knowledge, is not responsible for the deaths of anyone, or 4chan, which... You know, what may be at most responsible for the deaths of fewer than 100 people. Done in good faith by an intellectual, that is Karl Marx. Right. Karl Marx done in good faith. I mean, how is Karl Marx operating in good faith, but 4chan and Kiwi Farms posters uh, are not? I don't see how Karl Marx and communism are just inestimably morally superior to posters on 4chan or Kiwi Farms. Uh, but also one that isn't just, let's be honest, immediately relevant. It's something, something that's probably pretty easy to tolerate. The people daring to read the German ideology by Karl Marx are probably uh, scholars or intelligent, sens sens you know, sensitive, sensible, thoughtful people, who men, of, men and women of ideas, not people who are going to be somehow inspired at work, I don't know how, um, to commit violence or harm people's lives or anything like that. But can we say the same for people who have bad intentions? Whatever you want to say about Karl Marx, he did absolutely act in good It's hard to I've judge kind of people's intentions. And it happens through kind so. of nudges and through just total, through your just total stupidity, which might be the case with Tim Pool, or through malice, you are just misinforming them and, and, and kind of worse, disconnecting your audience from reality. I mean, there is something just so profound. Look, pundits are not disconnecting people from reality, right? Pundits give people what they want, right? If... If Tucker Carlson's disconnecting you from reality, that's only because you want to be disconnected from reality, right? So I disagree with, with Spencer here. I, I don't believe that it's uh, pundits who are disconnecting people from reality. Oh, man, just as I, I do this, then then it, uh, then the space stops working for me. Come on, man. Okay, we'll, we'll get this together. Come on, jail. It's that it was a concerted effort. It's just you know, well, it's it's worse than ignorance. Like I mean, I use the example, and granted, it's kind of it's comical of Tim Pool, but like whether that is simply a fact that he's stupid or he's catering to his audience or whatever, but the fact that you will just say stuff that is just demonstrably, manifestly idiotic, but gives your fans good vibes. There's just I despise that with my bone marrow. I despise those people. And, you know, I don't know, at, at some point, like this notion that you have some right to just pollute the public space with your just idiotic... That, that's a good point. A lot of live streamers and, and pundits are just primarily intent on giving their audience good vibes. And, and Spencer nails it here. This is good stuff. Rift is, it, it's just extremely discouraging. And, and yeah, I wonder how these people get platforms. It's honestly astonishing how they get huge platforms and stuff like that. It's not astonishing because they're giving people what they want. All right. Pundits are much more a reflection of their audience than they are shapers of an audience. One million, two million followers. Oh, yeah, simple, simple, yeah, simple <laughs> millions of followers. Um, the reason is that they are not operating on a basis of truth or reality. They're operating on a kind of 
advertising basis of A-B testing and pleasing their audience. Now, look, everyone pleases their audience to some degree. Obviously, I'm not unreasonable about this. You don't want to just go around, you know, poking fun at people listening to you. I get it. But there's something worse when you are presenting yourself as offering a perspective on the world or as reporting news or discussing the news. And again, through just total, through your just total stupidity, which might be the case with Tim Pool, or through malice, you are just misinforming them and, and, and kind of worse, disconnecting your audience from I mean, there is something just so profoundly despicable about, about this that needless to say, if Tim... Okay, so Richard has a vastly exaggerated sense of his own abilities and, and those of pundits, right? Richard Spencer cannot disconnect thousands of people from reality. No pundit can disconnect thousands of people from reality, right? To the extent that pundits have followings is because they are giving a particular audience what they want to hear. Who will ever faces any deplatforming issue? I would be the last person to speak up for that person, for that, that guy. Well, Richard... You have to have a basis of like, we're trying to, we have concepts, language, and there's reality. And we're trying to like find a match here. You're, you're, not that everyone's going to be right, of course, but like you're trying to do that. If you aren't trying to do that, then you just this notion of like, I need to, you know, vehemently defend your right. And uh, the chat says, yes, pundits can disconnect people from reality. Well, people weren't born yesterday, right? We did not evolve to be gullible, right? If we evolved to be gullible, we wouldn't be around, right? So for most people, discussions of uh, politics and culture and uh, conspiracy theories are entertainment, right? It's a distraction from, from their life, but uh, not all distractions are disconnections from reality. People want to feel excited. People want to feel important. Conspiracy theories and passionate punditry makes people feel alive and important and that they're fighting on the side of the angels against the demons. To lie and grift and just be a moron is just, you know, uh, I'll call you on that one. Let me think about it. Like, so my question is, like, yeah, there are a lot of these dissident right, and, and when I say dissident right, I mean, you know, everything from Tim Temple to, uh, you know, NJP, you know, kind of like broadly using. Hey, sure. Man, I've been reading some stuff lately about some of these organizations, and there's some evidence they're getting money from Russia. God knows what they actually believe in. You know what I mean? It's like they, they'll just say anything. Yeah, they'll money. money in it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, why wouldn't they take money from Russia? If Russia offers the money, or what was that Epstein f fellow? He offered, uh, gave uh, J.F. Garapi money. Uh, unless you have a traditional view that uh, money can carry contagion, right? If you have the traditional view that we have a poorer self and that we, we don't want to be bringing demons or you know bad vibes or contagion or impurity into our lives by by taking uh, you know filthy dirty lucre right uh, unless you have that traditional notion then why would you not take money from any source that you can get it exactly and I have another issue if, if anyone thinks that that kind of thing is not happening not, not that i mean obviously these are any accusation should be examined in detail but if any of you think that that kind of stuff isn't happening you, you need to wake up because it is happening and it happens on a very large scale and it happens through kind of nudges and subtle kind of is a very real thing well, it's gone to a ridiculous level because it's like free speech somewhere on the line it's turned into free anonymous speech like yes. money from russia and you don't have to disclose it that's the problem i've, I've seen where that, that's kind of I'll, I'll jump in if nobody else wants to speak i mean what i was reading i want to ask a question what do you think about uh richard hanania and michael uh, michael traces uh, silence for the last two days <laughs> oh not surprising at all um i know a lot about richard hanania I have no silence about uh, Ukraine studying success in this war. That's what they're referring to. It's pro Russia. So it does. Now you can say the same thing about me. Say I play. So obviously, I give people the, the ability to evolve, but I also like see these recurring talking points, places, and it does make me rather suspicious. Um, but, yeah, in terms of like, look, 
th this is the other like big factor, which is that um, there's, there's been an explosion in the alternative media. First off, just due to the web. I think much more so due to just social media and things that are like social media like YouTube, where you have followings and you're you know building an audience or something. Or something. Obviously, that can be great, um, but it, we, we are like past a point of no return where you know, no, if, if, if Russia gave millions to the New York Times right. or something, that would be a scandal. I mean, people are still talking about Walter Duranty. And I don't even know if Walter Duranty took money from the Soviet Union. I think he was pretty typical, um, you know, uh, head in the sky communist, basically. But that, that's, that's a scandal to this day. And it, needless to say, if the Kremlin were funding, you know, the San Francisco Chronicle, that would be just a sky high scandal that people would never stop talking about. But like, you don't have to do that. You can give nudges to alternative people. And it kind of like the constellation of his different personalities, it kind of adds up to the same thing as we're from the Washington Post or something. And so it really is a serious factor. These people do have influence. And it's not just all a joke, which is this weird kind of thing about alternative media. It's very similar to when, like, John Stewart, I think, was, was correctly criticized, um, that whenever someone would push back on John Stewart. Yeah, people ha have influence, but uh, much more pundits and live streamers are meeting people's needs, right? People develop an audience by giving people what they want to hear. It's not that pundits and live streamers are changing the minds of millions of people. He would always say, hey, listen, buddy, I'm on Comedy Central. We, we run a fake comedy show. It's not real, you know? And, like, you know, after my program, we have, you know, uh, say, comedian doing fart jokes. You know, why, why are you pushing back? But then when he wanted, wanted to say something, and very often, I mean, say things that I agree with. You know, the Iraq war is bad or whatever. When he wanted to say something, he, he could be taken seriously. But whenever he, he was received criticism, it's like, oh, I'm just a comedian, man. And you see the same thing with alternative media, where it's like, why are you attacking me? I'm just a live streamer, bro. Like, I'm just doing my thing. You know, why? It's like, no one's listening anyway. I mean, come on. Just, this is a pretty strong critique. Like my personal account work. And it's, it's like, the no. just a conversation between two people putting up my views. Or I'm not imposing a specific worldview or policy initiative here. It's just a conversation, you know? Yeah. They become some victims then. That's when they act like victims. Yes. Like, why are you telling me, man? Why are you telling me? Like, what do you mean? You're speaking stupidity. Obviously, people are going to call you out on it. You know what I'm yeah. saying? So, so uh, I mean, I, I, I've, I've got a question. I, I, I've got a question for, for Spencer. Yeah, yeah. Um, so, you know, I, I look at people like Alex Jones or, um, or, or Milo or, or any of these guys who have been uh, uh, censored heavily or, uh, you know, Nick Fuentes or any of these guys who have been heavily censored um, throughout the years. And, uh, and, and I see that you, you still have your, your Twitter account. And I see, um, I, I guess my question would be, how is it that you've avoided the, the ban hammer? You know, aren't you, this is, it's, it's very uh, unusual to me that someone who says controversial things is able to avoid the ban hammer while uh, simultaneously not being, um, dare I say it, uh, a feminist. Oh yeah, that's a great comment. Yeah, the idea that I've avoided deplatforming is uh, rather ridiculous. Um, I experienced it very intensely in 2017 and afterward. And yes, I have held on to my Twitter account um, other people haven't. I also uh, pretty rigorously follow the TOS of Twitter. But the idea that I haven't faced deplatforming is rather absurd. And the also, additionally, um, the idea that like there was no reason for Milo to be banned. I mean, again, this kind of gets back to this notion that I was talking about previously, where you absolutely have the right to go hold up a placard on the sidewalk of your town that says, you know, say no to war or something. You don't have the right to follow someone home and yell at him. And whatever you think about Milo's victims, he was absolutely engaging in textbook harassment of them. And again, it's like, and I'm, I don't know how old you are, but it's like with young people only on the internet, you have this like bizarre notion of speech or whatever, where you can just do anything. And that has never been the case in human history. Um, you know, I don't know the reason, I can't, I don't, can't remember offhand the exact reason why Nick Fuentes was, um, kicked off Twitter. Uh, as I've been saying for a while, I think Nick Fuentes is going to have very serious legal problems due to the fact that he was involved in a 
you know, some kind of raid on the Capitol. I, I think it's fair to say that Richard has put effort in to conform to the terms of service on Twitter. I think that's the primary reason why he still has an account on Twitter. He has an account on Substack because he puts an effort in to abide by the terms of service on Substack. The more intelligent the person, the better they're able to understand terms of service and to abide by them. And an attempt to prevent the functioning of government. And you can't just pull out a free speech card every time you guys do things that are just obviously against the law. Now, I also think that Twitter bans people who don't deserve to be banned. I mean, we're in a difficult situation where the whole free speech thing needs to be cracked on some level. And I can actually talk about that in tribulation. Um, but just this like, you know, let's defend Kiwi Farms, let's defend Milo, let's defend Nick Fuentes. I mean, there, there are real reasons why these people were deplatformed. I just want to add with the with the free speech thing, a lot of it's like absolutist defenders. They like to call upon like a great heritage, but this idea that every single idea has utility enough to be argued on the you know on the platform of ideas is very new. It's it's very uh, contemporary. You know what I mean? And and, and yeah. to that to that end, I, I think that uh, there are just some things that have no utility. You know, and 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 should it not be given the platform? I, I don't think that. Well, the, I think that makes me uh, uh, an extremist in the eyes of most in some people. But you know, I think. It, it's just not the case. It's not extreme. Well, who's going to determine whether or not someone is worthy of a platform? I like it that there are platforms like Odyssey that are more wide open platforms like, like BitChute. I, I would not want Alex Jones banned from every single platform. It doesn't bother me that he was banned from the, the major platforms, but he should have options for for speaking out. So who, who gets to decide who you know has, has a platform and who doesn't? position it shouldn't be seen as one no that's facts that's facts yeah like QAnon has no value there's no reason that QAnon needs a platform it doesn't have anything to, well, to speak on fuentes for a second i think he he was banned if i remember correctly for something that was deemed anti-semitic if I'm remembering correctly i don't think that was major it might have been but I, I think the bigger issue was um he was uh much like ali alexander his collaborator uh he was a um, blue-checked, you know, authenticated uh, user who was involved, heavily involved with January 6th. Yeah, I mean, I, I, I guess, you know, you, you look at these guys uh, like that who, uh, Ali Alexander, uh, um, Nick Fuentes, Milo, um, and, and they were involved with walking around, you know, the, the Capitol, not, not even going in. And oh, uh, that was, That's what they were involved with? They, they were off, uh, out on a walk? Is that what they were it's funny. I actually went on a walk around the U.S. Capitol not too long ago, and for some reason, I wasn't arrested. Why do you think that is? You're a liberal. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, look at um, Brett Kavanaugh. During the, uh, uh, there was a total storming of the Capitol by all these liberals, and they, they completely stormed the Capitol. Um, in, in some of these, yeah, you, know, that... you know why? You know why? Do you know why? Hold on, hold on. You know why? Well, no, I wasn't speaking. No, they did that because they already won. Well, hold on, I, I wasn't finished speaking. They um, already won. Okay. That's why they can do that, and we can't. They won already. Good also, point. I mean, look, I'm Good sure, point. I, I don't know the exact details. I've heard this line of attack of there was a storming the Capitol. No one has disrupted the transfer of power. No one there was, I mean, if they claimed this is a revolution, it was, you know, it was said in a much direct way by conservatives. I mean, I don't know. There's just no comparison with the two but, events. But, Rich, Rich. Okay. Here's uh, Gilbert Gottfried talking to Neil McDonald. <laughs> so you'd actually need a partner to do that job. Jesse. Are you going to read your quotes? Yes. Famous quotes. Famous quotes. 
While your man is hard, use one hand to push his penis up toward his stomach. Lick the, <laughs> lick the underside of his shaft by keeping your tongue flat and moving your head from <laughs> from side <laughs> from side to side to cover more surface area. Barbara Bush. Oh, that was Barbara Bush. <laughs> I remember she said that in the State of the Union address. I found these in a book, famous quotes. This one I wasn't aware. Well, of. let's give another one to Gil. Yeah. I okay. So, yeah. <laughs> okay. Famous quotes. <laughs> Intensify his orgasm (laughs) by placing two fingers an inch behind his balls and and feeling for a dent. It's the perineum perineum, a big pleasure trigger for the last 30 seconds before he comes, (laughs) massage the spot in a circular motion. Henry Kissinger. Oh, that was Kissinger. (laughs) Kissinger. Some people say it was a war criminal. Yes. But I don't know about that. You see, it makes more sense with a German accent. (laughs) No, yeah, Kissinger was sort of a, a sort of a. He, he went out with, famously with Jill St. John. Oh yes. Yes. The show could be do well in the seventies. Yes. <laughs> Nada. Nothing on the yeah. show. I think we make less than you. <laughs> like, like often people will get a drive to the studio, so technically they've made more than us. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. I'm out gas money. Oh, now you get gas money. No, not yet. And I, I and I heard talk in the hallway like like they sort of counted a hundred people watching. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Oh shit, we had a good week. Man. That's not bad. Hundred. <laughs> it's not good enough to get Kathy Griffin. <laughs> <laughs> That's a good point. Duly noted. You want to read a famous quote? Oh yes. Famous quote. Famous quotes. <laughs> To increase clitoral contact when she's on top, make a V with two fingers <laughs> and place it so the point of the V is just between the two knuckles is directly over her clit. Oh. Your fingers should come down either side of, of your penis as she writes you, this will stimulate the clitoris in alivia and urethra, as well as <laughs> intensity for you. Abraham Lincoln. Oh, that was Abraham Lincoln? Inside comic. But see, I knew that because I saw the movie. Oh, you saw it? Oh, okay. <laughs> <laughs> oh, yeah. I think we have to. I mean, these these are famous quotes, and yet uh, kids these days don't even know about 
you know, Abraham Lincoln and Barbara Bush and and Henry Kissinger. I, I mean, they didn't know the, these famous quotes from these famous people. Forty, do you charge for mileage if an Alexander session is more than thirty miles? I charge for mileage if the Alexander session is more than five miles. What do you think I am? You think I'm just passive? You think I'm just gonna like lie back? And, and let life do its work while, you know, I'm here lying on my back and, you know, life is just moving on top of me. No, I'm a man of action. I fight back. I don't let anybody rip me off. Bye-bye.